<laughs> no pressure. No pressure at all. I will confess, though, that <clears throat> that's the first time I heard my name used that way. Bring on the weight. All right, I like that. Bring on the weight. I might use that. <laughs> it's a pleasure to be with you today. It really is. Um, I'm excited to share this message. Uh, in part because the need is great. I'm, I'll just be honest here and say that we as your parents haven't done a good job teaching you what it means to be Pentecostal. Now we've given you some experiences here and there, but generally speaking, we have not given you a theology that you can hang your hat on. So you pick it up a little bit here, a little bit there, and the moment you get challenged, you don't know what to say. And I don't blame you, I blame me. And so it's been a passion of mine to deal with these topics. So today I'm going to share again in my series, uh, Holy Fire. I'm again addressing these five groups of people with their five different kinds of questions. The skeptic who wants to know why the big fuss. The Pino, right? Remember that one? The Pentecostal in name only, the one who's jaded. You've seen it all. Yeah, right. Whatever. Call me when you're done. Right? I want to address you too. I want to address the open but cautious. Those who are saying, well, why not? Hmm, possible. The chronic seeker. I've tried, I've tried everything. I know how. They told me to stand up straight, I did. They told me to fall down, I did. Raise your hands, lower your hands, run around, and nothing happened. Right? I'm, I'm talking to you uh, today and this week. I'm also speaking to the spirit-filled, asking you the question, well, now what do you do with this? I was reminded in the song that we sang today that we are, while we are theocentric, I'm going to get theological for a second. I have no, it's no choice, really. I'm a theologian. But while we are theocentric, and we are, that is, we center on God, and we can be Christocentric, that is, centered on Christ, rightly understood, we can never, as true Christians, be Christomonist, right? Christomonism is the belief that only Christ exists. The truth is, though, our worship sometimes makes it appear that way. The Father is absent, and the Spirit is a force. And that's why I, we're talking today about the Holy Spirit. That the Holy Spirit is God, as Pastor Doug said. God hovering over matter bringing matter into alignment with divine purposes. And if we want to look, use this kind of a schema, if the Father is God for us and the Son is God with us, then the Holy Spirit is God in us. And it's this powerful convergence we have when we call ourselves Christians, believing in this Trinitarian God, this multifaceted God who appears to us, yes, albeit, most visibly in the person of Jesus Christ. Now, I shared with you some conceptual depictions 
You see one up there, uh, the first conceptual depiction is uh, us being drawn into the life of the Spirit. That's what we consider to be salvation, being drawn into the life of the Spirit. Another conceptual diagram I showed last time was uh, the iceberg. The tongues and these external phenomena that we like to focus on are just the mere tip. That the true depth of the work of the Holy Spirit goes even deeper than this. And the truth is, you only can go as high as you can go, as you are deep. Right? And this is a mistake that a lot of people tend to make. We focus on the external trimmings, how high you can jump, how many tongues you can speak. When I lay hands, do miracles happen, or whatever, the uh, fad du jour. But not understanding that there's a depth that God calls us to. I also mentioned last time uh, about the spirit-filled life, that it is paradoxically both a state and a goal. A state and a goal of the Christian experience of the Spirit. We are full, but we keep needing to be filled. Why? Because we leak. Turn to your neighbor and say, I leak. Hopefully not now. We have this treasure in jars of clay. The scripture teaches us. It is a reminder that the power is not from us. The power really is where? From God. From God. And so I want to continue this series with addressing a specific issue. Now, before I do uh, introduce the title of my message today, what I will do is I will give you kind of a plan for the rest of the week so you know which, which to skip. Nah, you're not going to skip. Today we're going to talk about baptism in the Holy Spirit. It is a controversial topic. Um, the Spirit-filled life, that terminology is easier for us to handle. The concept of the Spirit hovering over creation is not something that Pentecostals invented or Pentecostals necessarily own exclusively. But when it comes to baptism in the Holy Spirit, there is a lot of controversy regarding that. So we'll spend some time today debunking some of the issues related to baptism in the Holy Spirit. Tomorrow, we'll spend some time talking about another, even more controversial issue. That is this question, how do we talk about baptism of the Holy Spirit in relationship to initial evidence or speaking in tongues? I hope to give you some language to help you parse some of this out and to deal with some of this. And then on Thursday, what I'll try to do is, as we wrap up, is I'll try to give you a, way, a couple of things. First dealing with hindrances to baptism in the Holy Spirit. So it's going to get more practical by the end of the week. You've been seeking and you have not, or you've been praying for someone and someone hasn't received. Are there some things, are there some diagnostic tools that we can use to help? And I suggest that there may be some. In fact, I've seen them used to some good use. And then at the end of that, I'm going to explain and talk about how do we lead someone into baptism in the Holy Spirit. So that's kind of the the floor this week. Um, but for today, my message is entitled Baptism in the Holy Spirit and Pickle. I was trying to come up with something clever, but it wasn't. So I just stuck on and pickle. 
it might become important, though. All right. So, baptism in the Holy Spirit and pickle. What is this thing that we call baptism in the Holy Spirit? What is it? Now, I'm going to do something that Dr. Anderson is going to warn you against. What does she warn you against? Word studies. Yeah, they're dangerous. Why? Because meaning is not found in a word. Oh, boy, I wasn't going to do this, but I'm going to do it anyway. I, I, I promised my wife. All right. Let's take the word hot. Ah, yeah, you, you know where I'm going with this. Let's take the word hot. It's a hot day, right? A hot dog. A hot wife. No one would suggest that we use <laughs> these words the same way. Why? Because when you put them in the context of other words, suddenly their meaning becomes clearer. But I'm going to use it just a little bit, but you'll see, hopefully, that I'm going to use it responsibly. All right? So the first term in that concept of baptism of the Holy Spirit, and yeah, my notes are kind of extensive, so... Uh, that's, what, that's how I think. I like to put it out there for you so you can choose what to write down rather than you have to figure out what I'm saying because I get excited and the Bajan accent comes out and you don't understand what I'm saying, so it's there. <laughs> also, it's safe for me too because then you can't say that I said. I'll point to the notes and say that's what I meant, even if it wasn't clear. So baptize. Baptizo. Of course, the Greek term to immerse and to metaphorically to overwhelm comes from one of the first usages of this word we, we see in the literature comes from this Greek poet called Nicander around about 200 BC. And he says that in order to make a pickle, hey, there it is, the vegetable, the, the vegetable should be baptized in the vinegar solution. Vinegar solution. I hope you're not baptized in any vinegar solution. That will make you kind of sour. <laughs> in Isaiah 21, 4, Isaiah uses the word to talk about how he was overwhelmed by transgression. So not only to immerse is a concept here, but also to overwhelm. And you can see how those two concepts can marry with each other. It's used approximately 63 times in the New Testament, Greek New Testament. And many of these times, though, it's used to refer to the rite of washing or cleansing that's uh, with the phrase baptized in or with water. Now, Greek scholars, let me see your hands. You've taken Greek. You know, this, there's a problem with any language. Prepositions, right? What do you do with them? In this particular case, in is n, and it could mean in, with, or by. And it could mean, it could be locative sense, it could be instrumental sense. So it's, it gets complicated. I wouldn't bore the rest of you with these details, but just know that this is a complicated kind of a question. But when it comes to baptism in the Holy Spirit, though, we're not depending simply upon 
a word in isolation. We are coming upon a way engaged a concept that is much larger and much richer. And it begins in the book of Matthew, of course, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and the story of Jesus and how Jesus gets baptized. So let me read these, these passages for you. Matthew 3.11. John says about Jesus. Now, this is John's testimony. He's testifying about Jesus. I baptize you with water for repentance, John says, but after me will come one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not fit to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Mark 1.8, I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. John, uh, Luke 3.16, John answered them all and says, I baptize you with water, but one more powerful than I will come. The tongues of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Now, I'm not going to focus on the with fire part. That's highly controversial. Let me suggest to you, do some careful exegesis here. Because when you talk about being baptized in fire, you might in fact be saying being baptized in judgment. I'm not saying that is what it is, but I'm saying to be careful because that is one implication of being baptized with fire. You have two choices, either the spirit or fire. That's John's testimony. This is what John says about Jesus. But listen to what Jesus' experience was, the experience of Jesus. As soon as he was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting on him. This is the experience of Jesus. As he's coming out of the water, something happens. Now, he was, his incarnation was facilitated by the Spirit. But there seems in this moment to be a next stage in his own spiritual development where the Spirit of God comes and hovers upon him. Now, next, tomorrow, next time, we may talk about language of subsequence there, that there may be here a, a, a precursor to subsequence. I'll get there next time. I don't want to muddy the waters here. But look at John 1.33. I would not have known him, John says, except the one who sent me to baptize with water told me, the man on whom you, spirit, you see the Spirit come down and remain is he who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. This is very, very important. Here is where we cannot afford to simply be crystal monist. Because the only way that John was able, this is John the Baptist, the only way John the Baptist was able to recognize who Jesus was, was because of the Spirit. So there is a conjunction of Christology and pneumatology right here in the life of Christ, right? Which is very important. We cannot miss this because it leads us to how we live the Christian life, which we'll as well get to towards the end of this message. The man on whom we see the Spirit come down and remain is he who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. Baptize. Holy Spirit. Look at the testimony of Jesus. This is what Jesus says. He says to his disciples who had been with him these many years, do not leave Jerusalem, 
but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. He goes on to say, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. This is the testimony of Jesus. Now, this is really crucial for a Pentecostal understanding. These are people who had been with Jesus these at least three years, maybe a little more than that. And Jesus is saying, before you can fulfill the mission to which I've called you, There is another step that's available to you. You cannot fully represent me in your own power and in your own strength. There is something else. There is this endowment of power. There is this baptism in the spirit that is necessary. That's Jesus' testimony. But what is is the disciples' experience? So we had uh, John's testimony, Jesus' experience. We have Jesus' testimony, and now the disciples' experience. And this is the text that we take the name Pentecostal from. Because it was when the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came and ha- from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues. Now, Peter gets up as a result of all this and says, first of all, he says, this is that which is spoken by the prophet Joel. But he also says here, very importantly, repent and be baptized in Acts 2.38. Every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, I don't don't quote it here, but it's actually in the text. If you read a little further on, it says, this promise is for you and for your children to the many that are far off, to as many as the Lord your God shall call. This is not just something simply for disciples. This is something to characterize every Christian believer. Being full of the Spirit. Receiving the gift of the Spirit. You don't have to go very far into this text. Now, tomorrow I will do the the Acts 2, 8, 9, 10, and 19, which sets up the pattern. But here I just want to focus on Acts 11, which is a follow-up from Cornelius' visit to, uh, or rather, Peter's visit to Cornelius' household. Cornelius was a Gentile, of course, we know the story. But he was accepted by God, the angel said, and he was told to call for this man called Simon Peter. So Simon Peter, to make a long story short, God had to convict him of his own ethnic uh, pride and ethnocentrism. The remarkable thing about the story, though, is that as... Peter was preaching. The Spirit of God comes down upon this Gentile audience. This is bizarre. There's no altar call, right? There's no Jesus prayer. He is preaching about Jesus, and boom, the Spirit of God comes upon them. Now, Peter, as he reflects on this, he says he has to make a defense in Jerusalem because the Jerusalem crowd is saying, "Uh uh-uh, this can't be of God. But he's saying, he said, then I remembered what the Lord had said 
John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. You see, this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. This is that which was experienced not too long ago, and of course in Acts 2, recorded there. But this, very importantly, is what Jesus had said to the baptism in the Spirit in the mind of Peter is the fulfillment of Jesus' statements, and it's also the fulfillment of John's prophecies. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and power. But there's a big but. Now, this is where the controversy comes, okay? This is where the fighting comes. Because we have this passage in 1 Corinthians 12, 13, that says, for we all were baptized by one spirit into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and we were all made or given the one spirit to drink. Now, Paul picks up this imagery from 1 Corinthians 10, I'm pretty sure. And this describes what Paul would, what I would believe Paul is saying as a spirit-facilitated entry into the Christian life, into the body of Christ. Now, that seems to be controversial. Now, you'll see why in a minute. But there's some key differences between this use of baptizing the Spirit and the other uses of baptizing the Spirit. Number one, the focus here is on the organismic... You've got to be careful how you say that word, huh? Organismic unity of the body of Christ. That's the focus. Yes, it's a real word. Look... Fact check me. It's all right. Another important difference, though, is that in, the, in this case, the Holy Spirit is the one who is baptizing members into the body of Christ, which is the medium. So we're baptized into something. In the other cases that we've seen, the language suggests that it is the Holy Spirit who is the medium. Notice the difference, the, 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 the contrast, baptized in water, Versus baptized in spirit. Again, water is understood there as the medium. The spirit in that sense is understood as the medium. Of course, you notice that there's a, another metaphor, I'll, but I'm hurrying. And thus, in the Christian tradition, two senses of this term emerge. One for the initial entry into the Christian faith, Christian initiation, for those of you who follow this debate, that's the Max Turners and the Jimmy Dunns. That's their emphasis. But there's also a second, this discrete spiritual experience that leads to empowerment and improvement to which Jesus refers, to which Peter refers, to which John refers. That this is this moment of spiritual empowerment and transformation that is connected to salvation but different from it. And this is where the confusion comes in. Pentecostals, listen to me. Non-Pentecostals, listen to me. Right? When the Pentecostals say, ask you, are you baptized in the Holy Spirit? You might be tempted to think the Pentecostal is asking you, are you saved? Right? They're not ask, that's not the question they're asking. The assumption is that if you're a Christian, you are saved. If you are a Christian, you have the Holy Spirit. You are born of the Spirit. 
When the Pentecostal says that a person is baptized in the Spirit, they're speaking in the second sense, which I believe is the more tested sense in the New Testament. There's a different use of the same metaphor, but really they're not two, diff- they're not two baptisms. In fact, let me review the diagram up here. This is what Pentecostals are saying. That in salvation, a person is brought by the Holy Spirit into the new life. They are born again by the Spirit. But there is available to that person an even deeper life in the Spirit, which we call baptism in the Spirit. There is born in the Spirit and baptized in the Spirit. Here is the issue, though. They're not two distinct experiences. They represent one continuum. And probably, that's probably too strong a word to, to not to say they're not two distinct experiences. We experience them as two different things. But in reality, they are part of this fabric that God is working, this drawing of the Spirit into the life of the Spirit. This is the life of the baptized person, drawn deeply into the spirit life. A lot of theology, huh? A lot of theology. But it's important, important foundational understandings. So let's talk about some definitions then. Baptism in the Holy Spirit is an experience that is subsequent to salvation, but builds on salvation. What do I mean by subsequent? It means it comes after. The assumption is that you are saved. You are a Christian, you are saved. But there is available to you this encounter that Jesus spoke of. This baptism in the Spirit continues and intensifies the work of the Holy Spirit begun in you at salvation. This is not a new Holy Spirit. This is not a different Holy Spirit. This is the same Holy Spirit who is drawing you even deeper into the life of God to the purpose that God has given to you. This baptism of the Holy Spirit leads the believer into a deeper experience of God, equips the believer for even more effective Christian service and witness. I'm going to tell you a quick story about myself. A story few people know. I grew up extremely shy. I was a very, very bad stammerer. You couldn't understand me speaking. So I got saved, which is fine and great and Thank God for salvation. It was wonderful. But I kept craving more of God. So I started off in a church that didn't believe in baptism in the Holy Spirit, didn't believe in spiritual, uh, spiritual gifts, except for the ones that could be tamed. So you throw out prophecy and healing and those kind of stuff, but you keep the rational ones, right? But as I read the New Testament, I knew there was something more. The spirituality that I saw in the Bible was powerful, it was like nothing I'd ever seen. You mean, God can do this? And I kept hearing in my heart, yes, I can. 
but I was a stammerer. Started to believe that God had called me to ministry. I said, yeah, sure. How are you going to do that with a stammering lips? Of course, if I, I should have read Moses' story, right? It's all there. Who made your lips, boy? <laughs> I should have read that, but I didn't know that at the time. I remember, though, that night I was kneeling at the altar. Here's the funny part. He was a Wesleyan holiness guy. And I'm not even sure if he was spirit baptized. But he put his hands on my head. And there was a jolt of electricity that flowed through my body. I had never experienced anything like it. See, that's why I can say, you know, um, I know the fake. The fake is there. People push you down and do all kinds of weird stuff. But I felt the real. And it was powerful. As I walked down the street, this word jumped into my mouth. Because I didn't know what speaking in tongues was. It just jumped. And I started speaking. It's like, what's that? It was surprising. It really was surprising to me. You know, the funny thing is, I wrote the word down, and years later, I found it in a Greek uh, uh, dictionary. Enough said about that. But when I was still, uh, it would be equivalent of an of associate's degree. We did that in our high schools. Kind of like PSEO, you know, kind of think of it. Yeah, but in our high schools. I went to school that next day, and we were discussing God, the topic of God in the, in the classroom. And in a moment, everything went still. And I heard someone talking about God. And speaking with such authority, speaking with such conviction, I snapped out of it and realized it was me. The Spirit had loosened my tongue had given me the ability to represent Christ to a classroom of people who did not know him. It was a transforming kind of a moment for me. Ah, this time flies, doesn't it? But wait, there's more. Last point, the last slide. So what, what about Pickle. Notice that you guys just got, recently just got Chick-fil-A, huh? Chick-fil-A sandwiches, just got them. We had them for years in Virginia. But I can't stand the pickle. Pickle's disgusting. I just, just something about it. But you know what happens with that pickle? That when it's there and they remove it, the taste still remains. Right? Something about the pickling process makes that pickle. Now, if you just had pickle and you took it off, no big deal. And every time I order a sandwich, they keep putting the pickle on it. And I take it off, and I still taste it. Tomorrow we'll talk a little bit more about that. But I think that is an, a, a metaphor for us. That when we are pickled by the Holy Spirit, when our lives are infused by the Holy Spirit, that we leave the aroma of God everywhere we go. Then in fact, to become truly Christ followers, to become truly effective, we've got to do and we've got to be 
what Jesus was. What did John say about Jesus? I had not known that he was the one, except the one who sent me to preach said, what did he say? The one on whom the Holy Spirit comes and descends, this one, is the one who will baptize in the Holy Spirit. I'm way out of time. The worship team, as if we do have the time to do it, just come and just play something. Baptism in the Spirit is a pickling. It is a pickle, and it is a pickling. <laughs> the work of the Holy Spirit in your life is to preserve you in the world, to transform you in the world, to empower you. Take this time this week to connect. Let's all stand. Take this time this week to connect. Maybe you are not so sure about this stuff. I'm trying to lay a foundation for you, for you to understand that not only is it reasonable, the spirit baptism experience is available. Let's lift our hands as the band sings. pray today for every student. I'm expecting, God, that you will meet these young men and women where, they, where they're at. Some of them have reading disabilities. Some have speaking disabilities. Some have emotional disabilities. Cognitive disabilities, all kinds of issues. 
Lord, I know from my own experience, nothing is too hard for you. Nothing is too hard for you. And so I pray in the name of Jesus that you would baptize our students. You would baptize our faculty. You would baptize our staff members, Lord, with the Holy Spirit and power. That God, you would raise us up in the name of Jesus to be powerful witnesses for Christ in our world. That our lives would be characterized by this one thing. That we are infused by God's presence. So, Lord, pull us closer. Take us deeper, oh God. By your Holy Spirit. And all God's people say, Amen. Amen. You coming tomorrow? There's more to come. God bless you.